All right, everybody, welcome back to uh, Equipped Brews Tired Podcast. Uh, this week, we have a very special interview to uh, get to. Obviously, I won't ruin anything yet, but, uh, you know, it's uh, it's been a good week. So what's up with you, Bryce? Um, things are things are good with me, man. Like, uh, we were just talking before we uh, kind of got into all this, but uh, we watched Thor's 501-kilo uh, deadlift attempt this morning. So controversial. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I understand. They did a good job, though. Like, I yeah. mean, they literally weighed every single plate on camera to to validate stuff. You know, like to to do it as legitimately as they could in the environment mm-hmm. they were in. I, I don't think they could have done it a different way. Yeah, yeah. I think that. Uh, I mean, I don't know how the inner workings of strongman and stuff, but it's not like the IPF and there's a official record committee uh outside of like okay there's world's strongest man and then there's giants live and then there's this and then there's that and it's kind of just like the okay what's the all-time biggest you know yeah and i mean i don't know like you said they they did pretty much everything they could to try to make it as official as possible although i see eddie's side of things too like really you're gonna pull this world record in your gym you know for sure on the same platform and bar that you train with every single day but i don't know yeah, and it I was a see. it was a nice deadlift too. Oh or, yeah, like, like did it you was, see it? It was it was IPF clean almost, like almost. maybe yeah. one little bit of a hitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it might have been a two to one lift in most competitions, really. So yeah. that's pretty damn clean for a for a strongman. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think if he would have wanted to, he probably could have thrown another like ten kilos on there and really jammed the knees under it and shook around and kind of like. Yeah, you know, yeah. mess with it for a few seconds and probably could have locked out a bit more. But I also was kind of uh, surprised and and uh, was like, yeah, yeah, respect, dude. When he was like, no, well, you know, I pulled my five hundred one. There might be more there, but I'm super happy and we're gonna call it a day. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, like, oh, there smart. was definitely some some clatter about he could do a fourth and even a fifth attempt if he wanted. Sure, yeah, I mean. Um, I mean, I don't know Again, what strong really man. I, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So yeah, definitely, definitely more in the tank if he if he hitched it and stuff. And but yeah, yeah he was the came for five hundred one, and that's what he did. So yeah, and I think, clearly enough that there's no argument about it being a good lifter. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he stood with there with it for a second, and I, I thought it was funny. So they asked Magnus for Magnuson, who was the the head judge. You know what sort of the rules of the strongman deadlift are, and basically after a little bit of like humming and hawing. He was kind of like, well, he can't drop it. <laughs> like, all right, so there's one rule: he can't drop it. Other than that, pretty much anything goes. But yeah, because I think Eddie Hall actually got called on dropping, dropping a big pull once at oh, Giants really? Live. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you might be right. Yeah, I can't remember. I watched I watched the documentary years ago, maybe not years ago, but maybe like a year ago, and I can't remember what the weight was. I don't think it was 500, but definitely pulled something huge at Giants Live and and dropped it and got called on it and was like pretty heartbroken about it. Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, no doubt. Understandably right? like, so. Yeah. Like it, it's putting it down is definitely the easiest part of the lift, you know, especially with straps on or whatever, whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, you I mean, just drop it because you're excited. You look at Thor's hands, his thumbs were over the bar. Right. Like that's, that's how much those figure eight straps change the, change the grip. Right. Like it's a kind of a totally different thing. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely lock you in. I've never tried them, but, but, uh, yeah, they definitely look like they lock you into the bar. I think I tried them once and didn't like them, but. Yeah, you should use giant like pillowy, pillowy straps. <laughs> yeah, I have those like extra thick, extra wide spud straps that just 
will last me the next four decades of my powerlifting career. So that you wear backwards anyway. I believe I wear them the correct way. <laughs> there may backwards be some from intention about seen, that. Yeah. But, <laughs> but that's fair. It's my that's secret. Fair. So how's the how's the super high rep? Did we did I ask you that already? You did, before but before we started, started recording. recording? Oh, well, okay. before we did the intro, so <laughs> I told you we should just start us over and do an intro. Right, right, right. It's been good. So you're rehabbing. Uh, yeah, that's kind of the goal of it. It's not really rehab. It's like reintroduction sort of thing, re right. reacclimation to volume sort of deal. So last night I did. Desensitization. Yeah, I guess so. My soul's getting desensitized. <laughs> <laughs> I did, uh, I was up to 180 for 15 last night. And I think I'll call it there for 15s but then i saw mike squat 405 for 22 today so now i'm like now i'm feeling pretty triggered on that so <laughs> so i don't know 170 for yeah. 15 or no sorry you did 180 180 yeah so yeah, i, I my actual my, like my initial thought was to go 182 and a half just to do 400 right right but now i do 185 i really wanted to and i don't think i, I don't know if i could push to 23 that's I, I 15 was not terrible, but it is terrible at the same time. Like you could definitely push more reps, but like, yeah, it's just, you don't be, want to, <laughs> you're going to be in a dark place after. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think I'll probably call it there and then drop down to tens now and then I'll start cycling in some deadlifts on the opposite day. So I'll squat one day, deadlift one day. I don't like doing high rep conventional though. It's a history with SI joint issues and high rep conventional tends to aggravate it more. So. I think I'll probably do like 10 by three with like a timer or something like a one minute timer, maybe just right, to try right. and get the the volume, but not the high rep positional sure. loss that I tend to get. I, I, I can't get a good position for conventional, so I'd rather not try and push it into sets of 10. Yeah, that's fair. But, that's fair, man. I, uh, I hit an all time bench PR this week. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. You and pretty, Mike T, right? Like, that. like within a day of each other, you guys hit all time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he hit like a, I don't know if it was an all-time like a, a load PR, but it, or it was a definitely at least a dots PR. No, I think he, based went for, on the I fact think he got that, loads PR, yeah. Did he? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because I know he had hit a dots PR as well because he's a, at least a little bit lighter than usual right now. And uh, yeah, still still benching um, as well, if not better. So that's, yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, yeah, you hit what, 185? 187 and a half. 187, yeah. yeah. That's so good. At about like an eight and a half. So, yeah, it didn't look I'm mean, supposed to be taking singles out. at a nine this block. So, we'll see if I can, you know, continue to push that or if I kind of need to try to ride the wave and not not jump the gun early in the developmental block. So, we'll right. see how all that, uh, all that works out. But we did get quite a few emails this week. So, oh, awesome. Um, along with also like, guest suggestions and stuff which really helps so i mean if you if you have any right. suggestions for who we should have just shoot us an email uh equipped bruise tired at gmail.com um any hate mail yet uh no hate mail i don't right. i mean or We're really well disguised now. like maybe it's all sarcastic you can't <laughs> yeah. i can't read the sarcasm you guys so. are a really great podcast. Yeah, super good <laughs> um let me see i had a question here where did it go uh Oh yeah, here, here it is. Um, so Joe asks, uh, do you have any recommendations as to how many wares you get out of each uh, piece of kit? Um, I hear some people keep suits and shirts for a long time and some seem to wear new gear every prep. So mm. uh, 
yeah, kind of. What, what do you think about that? Where so are you at in that spectrum? My take on that is that honestly, I think the deadlift suit um, you can probably just wear in perpetuity as long <laughs> as it fits and you don't like gain or lose a whole bunch of weight. I've never really had any issues with deadlift suits starting to feel too loose or too broken in or anything like that. That's just my personal experience. Um, I think in the squat suit, for me, it's probably probably two blocks to to the point where a suit is, is kind of feeling its best for me. So I'd say, what's that, 14 wears or something like that? Um, but then I just take the hips in a little bit and probably get another 14 wears out of it and you know, you can continue that for quite some time too, before you run into sort of the very end point of the material, um, bench shirts. Uh, I've got, I've probably gone through so many bench shirts that I've never actually worn one to the point where it needed to be replaced. Um, I know I did do a whole bunch of modifications on one shirt and sent it off to get some, some stitching done and it came back with a bit of a hole in it. So, uh, that, that, uh, shirt needed to be replaced, but I don't know. Maybe you have a little bit more insight on that. I'd say for deadlift suits, whatever. Uh, for squat suits, for me, it was, yeah, 14, 15 wears or so, and then take the hips in. Yeah, I think, I mean, it depends how old the gear is, too, because those first few uses are going to stretch out so much. But right. I think when it gets to a certain age, it I don't know if it stops stretching, but it definitely slows it down a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, my squat suit, though, I've been wearing it since 2017. Uh, I got it before world games 2017 was my first titan suit i've worn in i don't know about 10 years of that time so um and i have basically worn it since i have one other suit that um i would kind of throw in for when i was still doing lighter stuff kind of like a light up light block um okay but otherwise that one suit has been worn and up to like body weight swung quite a bit there because I was up to 147, 148 kilos at one point that year for 2017. Mm-hmm. And then I think by nationals in 2018, I was down to about 137, 136, maybe a little okay. heavier than that. So yeah. like 10 kilo swing on body weight. I just took Makes hips in, you know. Yeah. Um, and then I've regained weight with it. But yeah, like so you can get a ton of use out of, out of the mm-hmm. gear, right? I, I definitely don't think it's it definitely needs to be replaced. You can kind of feel it though too, right? Like you definitely stop getting the kind of pop suits are pretty easy to, to, to crank the hips in tighter. Yeah. Um, and straps, if you need to take straps, shirts yeah. are a little tougher. Uh, once that chest panel stretches out beyond where it's really giving you the support, there's only so much you can do. Uh, yeah. sleeves you can take in pretty easily. Um, and I think I've to definitely... a point, the sleeves will help tighten things. Yeah. As the chest sure. plate gives, right. But only yeah. to a point. But your arms, your arms are only so big, so you can only take yeah. the, the arms in so much. So, um, but yeah, like I've worn some old shirts and like Rhea, my wife, spoiler, that's our guest, but <laughs> oh, <no>. um, <laughs> she, uh, I want to say in, and I could be getting this wrong, but I think, uh, in 2017, do you remember what year North American bench was in? uh hamilton no it might have been 2017 might have been 2018 anyway she wore um i want to say she wore like a 10 year old bench shirt one of her old shirts that she'd actually like sold and then ended up buying back um and she wore it and i think she set a world record in it so you know if if you can do it in like a 10 year old 12 year old shirt that definitely had some use in it you know Mm -hmm. 
old gear stuff has life in it, which is what yeah. makes the used gear still so valuable, right? Totally. Like people, yeah. people see old gear to buy online and it's still pretty expensive, but if, if it's tight, you can still get a ton of use out of it. Yeah. Agreed for sure. For sure. This guy, uh, Greg says I competed in powerlifting in from 1984 to 1993. I've heard the current style single ply gears a lot more supportive mm-hmm. than the gear, which we lifted in the eighties and nineties. Uh, I'm particularly interested in the squat gear. Do you have any knowledge of this? And will you comment on this during the podcast? Um, so to comment on it, I don't really know what gear was out in the, in the yeah. late eighties, early nineties. I kind of think that the Inzer blast shirt might've been around back then. Um, as for what kind of suits, maybe I like, I think it'd be like the Titan superior and yeah. stuff like that. Like the, that's the oldest stuff I can think of, honestly. Yeah. Like an Inzer champion <clears throat> or an Inzer Z suit. Um, yeah. so like I never wore a blast. I knew people that did when I started lifting and it was basically if you're trying to put on like a, a bench shirt these days, like the arms are tight and then the back is stretchy pulled over your head. But those are just like one type of material all the way around. And it's like putting on like extreme spanks for your upper body. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we used to, you had like a, you had to roll up the body of it, pull the head over, try and get the arms in, and then like roll the body down because the whole body was compressive. Right. So it was it was like terrible to put on. I've uh, heard some horror stories, yeah. And then you put it all on, and it hurts like hell to bench in, and you get nothing. Three, four percent, <laughs> like basically whatever yeah. you can touch and go, you can now pause. Yeah, basically that. That's a lot what a lot of people said, sort of thing. Like maybe ten, fifteen pounds, you know, in in a good day. Uh, and that might just be like the confidence of the compression. I'm not sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, that gear and for squat suits, like I, the oldest suit I ever wore would have been like a Inzer hardcore, um, okay. which is still a couple generations better than what would have been around at this guy's time. And, and even that, I mean, they're not bad suits. You have to wear them super tight. Cause still the thing about the material back then is there, it's so much stretchier. Like the material still stretchy. Mm-hmm. It was just, you know, springy. But right. nowadays, like, like a little more elastic almost. Yeah. yeah. Like think about it like a really good Under Armour <laughs> right. material, right? Like, yeah. Um, not far. If you ever wore like a thermal short, like that kind of neoprene shorts, sort of like right. that, but a little bit better. Um, but the, the thing about today's gear is it's just, it doesn't want to stretch at all. Right. So, yeah. I mean, I'm so, a, I'm a relatively like young equipped lifter in terms of my training age. And I think the the only suit I've ever worn is a super scent. Like I've never been in anything less sort of updated or cutting edge kind of, you know, technology in terms of the suit other than that. So I can't really speak to that much. Yeah. I, you know, I, uh, when I started, even when I started in 2005, um, it was already like a Titan Centurion uh, was there best suit and and from its titan centurion to a, a super centurion there's not a ton of difference like mm-hmm. the material generations got better throughout those times right like when i started i think it was nxg plus or nxg then there's nxg plus and super nxg so but, nxg super plus plus yeah exactly <laughs> so but the same basic suit the same cut like if you saw an old suit yeah. it looks exactly the same yeah so that's what i started lifting in and and uh yeah, they're 
it was a good suit back then. It's still a good suit now. I wore the Inzer stuff for a lot of years. We we still sell the Inzer stuff, and I think the the Inzer TRX I think is still pretty darn close to to equivalent to a to a Super Centurion. Mm-hmm. I actually haven't got one back one into one because it's last cycle I was going to get into one, but um, I went to put it on the first day of training and it was way too tight, <laughs> so I just <laughs> I bailed out of it and and put a looser Centurion on. So and then oh, just, once fair. I find a suit, I kind of stick in it because I don't yeah. know, it's just way I am. But so. Today is, uh, I think, a, a really fantastic interview with, honestly, one of, if not the best powerlifter uh, in Canadian history, as far as I'm concerned. You know, you can you can come at me if you have a differing opinion. Um, <laughs> she's been competing since 2003, internationally over 30 times, five world records in two weight classes right now. Um, it, this honestly, this list of, of accolades and things that she's accomplished is, is kind of astounding. So I'll, I'll jump around through it a little bit, but, uh, she's won sub junior worlds, junior worlds, open worlds equipped, um, 33 national championships across bench only powerlifting again, both equipped in classic over 600 Wilkes seven times, um, highest Wilkes around 650 and 490, uh, classic, uh, 650 equipped, sorry. And um, she's competed in at least, or sorry, not at least, in the last three World Games, uh, which is a a 12-year span of lifting. Um, We got into some pretty good stories and some pretty good detail about some of the World Games experiences, Um, and I think that'll be a recurring thing throughout the the podcast. We'll be lucky enough to talk with people who have experienced sort of that that pinnacle of powerlifting. Um, And um, for me... uh, Rhea was somebody who inspired me to, you know, uh, to take that insane, um, you know, double entry in nationals and compete both raw and equipped in the same championships. Um, you know, I will probably never do that again. I'm not sure I would be able to survive it. Uh, but honestly, Rhea seems to do it pretty casually, uh, some years. So, um, with all that being said, we'll, uh, we'll dive into our chat with Rhea and, uh, we really hope that you all enjoy it. Uh, again, if you have any questions or anything, go ahead and hit us up and uh, enjoy the podcast. All right, Ray, thanks for joining us. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, Ray is my wife. I assume everyone does know that, but I'll start off by saying that just to get this out of the way. So there's potentially some inside jokes in some of this conversation. We'll try not to leave it too uh, uh, opaque, but we'll do our best. Um, so, Ray, you started lifting at 14. Uh, and I believe that's correct. I, I don't think it was 13, but uh, who or what got you interested in the sport? Uh, yeah, I was 14 when I started lifting. Um, I had been interested in the sport for probably six months or so before I actually started training for it. Uh, my brother, Ryan, not to be confused with my husband, Ryan, uh, brother Ryan <laughs> had been Always competing. to be confused, though. So Yeah, like, everybody gets confused. confused. It's awkward. Um, anyway, brother had been competing in the sport for about a year. Um, I had helped at, I had helped set up like a thousand curtains at a meet for Jeff, Butt um, the summer before my grade eight grad gift, I wanted a weight set and bench. Um, so that was like June ish. And then the following December, I'd used the weights at home a handful of times, not very much. Um, but I was finally convinced to go to the gym with my brother when he was home from university at Christmas time. Um, Or I was convinced or my brother was forced to take me. I'm not sure which one it really was. Um, And I started going to the gym 
with him while he was home at Christmas and started training with Jeff Butt and his crew there. And then I did a meet about a month after that. I did my first nationals three months or so after that. So, and really have been doing it ever since. So first follow-up question, do you still have that weight set from when you were 14? Because that might be worth a lot of money right now. <laughs> no, we actually, my parents and I talked about this a couple of years ago and we don't remember where it went. It's probably at the it's farm. Not, that's sort of my guess is that <laughs> it's at the farm and potentially my cousin has used it for welding scrap metal. Yeah. Uh, it's just like a crappy weeder one, but yeah, we don't remember where it went. A few years ago when I was helping clean out some stuff from their basement, I did find like the user manual for the weight set, but <laughs> I don't know where it went. This is how you bench press. <laughs> well, no, this is how you set it up. Oh, right. Okay. Assembly. So, yes. Second follow-up question. Uh, would you say you all owe all of your success to your brother and he didn't make me ask this? Um, <laughs> your question was, do I owe all of my success to my That's brother? Right. Yes. Yeah. I owe a lot of my success to my brother for allowing me to come to the gym with him, taking me to the gym with him. But I think I, if I were to like pin it on somebody, I think I owe more of it to my dad because, uh, so Ryan had been, my brother Ryan had been home for Christmas and he was going to university in Regina and he had taken me to the gym with him a handful of times. And then the first day back, I had gone to school and then I was supposed to go to the gym after school and like meet up with Jeff and the crew. And that was my first time sort of alone with them. And I called my dad crying, being like, I don't want to go. Like, this is, I just can't do this. And he was basically like, you need to go. You have to go. You'll be fine. So I did. And yeah, so I'd say I almost give it more to my dad than my brother. Ouch. So before the second follow-up question there, I have a little interjection. I was wondering, did you notice right off the hop that you were like, oh, shoot, like I get this and, and it made sense right away? Or were you just like not at all newborn baby deer kind of yeah. like really struggling? My first time squatting with a bar, I actually like fell over onto my butt with the bar on my back. Okay, okay. <laughs> that's That's probably good to know and very relieving for maybe some of our listeners. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I, I put up like an Instagram question box on Instagram and, and I guess this question's half serious. Um, are there any lifters that you, you did or, or do really look up to in the sport, um, that aren't named Ryan? Um, uh, Priscilla Rubik was somebody I definitely looked up to from when I started in the sport. She had started in the sport a couple of years before I did, um, or at least coming onto the international scene as far as I was aware. Um, and we were close to the same weight class um, and she was doing phenomenal things on the international stage. So she was definitely somebody I watched a lot of um, her lifting and sort of really looked up to her. Okay, cool. Um, any others or, or was that kind of mostly it when you first got started? And is there anybody now that you... Um, you know, see in that same kind of light or what do you think? Uh, when I first started, there wasn't a lot of females in the sport in Canada. Mm -hmm. um, the ones that were at the highest level that I remember were like Kim Dennis, uh, Jackie Sandu and Pat Ling. Um, I remember my first nationals 
sitting there for weigh-ins with my dad and was like this timid little 14 year old. Um, and just like looking at them and being like, they're so strong. Like, I hope that I can be that strong one day. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming now, by now you've, you've surpassed those numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Was, was there a point where you, that, that kind of like dawned on you or you realized that? That like all these people you looked up to, you're now kind of pulling out ahead of them? No, I wouldn't say a specific time. Um, I know for a number of years, probably like 2005, six-ish, I want to say, like benching 100 was a big deal. And like maybe one or two women had done it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think Kim had maybe done it. um, And I had attempted like a hundred, 101, 102, a number of times and always missed it um, around that time frame. So I remember that was sort of, I don't want to say a turning point, but that's a number that I remember mm-hmm. um, from the first three years of competing was trying to really, trying to hit that and being very unsuccessful for a long period of time. Right. But so, so bench was something that kind of like pulled out ahead of the other lifts for you early on, would you say, or, or like kind of became the, your, the thing that you were known for? Cause I think you've broken a lot of bench records as well as others, but like bench is kind of your, your jam. Bench, yeah. Bench has always been probably my stronger lift. Um, like as a junior lifter, I set the junior world bench record, um, never, I don't think was even close to ever the squat or the total. Definitely not the deadlift because we all know where that sits. (laughs) All right, cool. Um, So in 2008, you did your first open worlds. Is that right? Yeah, that is correct. Yeah. And came in second as a junior at that meet. Yeah. Did you think at the time that it would take you 12 more years to climb that last rung of the podium? No, no. I was a cocky little junior and, um, no, that's not true. Yeah. No, I didn't think it would take that long. Like it's always been a goal to win open worlds. Right. And 2008, I was, what was I a second year junior at that point in time? I think, um, there were some weird circumstances to that world in that Russia wasn't there. Um, the Ukraine lifter in my class who should have been ahead of me bombed, Um, so sort of falling into second and I think I was only like 12 and a half kilos or something from gold that year. Um, so I think it gave me a false hope, false sense of this is possible. Um, well, clearly not totally false, but well, but (laughs) it was not in the realm of the next few years. Um, and it's hard to say what the circum, why what changed at that point. Um, but yeah, I think there was a little bit of luck in my silver that year. Um, yeah. Okay. And so that placing also qualified you for the world games, right? Yeah. 2008 worlds qualified for world games. Now at that point in time, nobody really knew I was, from my perspective, nobody really knew what the world games was. Nobody knew, it was really a qualifying event for it at the banquet for the 2008 worlds. They all of a sudden were announcing this team that had made the world games. And it was like, Oh, okay, cool. Like 
then it, after the banquet, we're all like, sort of, what is this? When is this? Like, yeah, it was, yeah, it wasn't as hyped up as it is now where people like a year, two years, three years out are eyeing up the qualifying process. Right. So you didn't really know what it was until after the fact, hey? Yeah. Like there, I think powerlifting has been in the world game since I want to say 81, but, oh, wow. um, I, which I think it was the first world games. And I know 2005 World Games, I want to say, like, Kim Dennis and, oh, somebody who never did a Nationals. Or there was some weird thing that Quang somebody... Tran. Quang Tran. Yes. Um, they had qualified somehow for the World Games. And there had been a couple of Canadians at that one. But it wasn't a big thing. It wasn't really talked about. Um, I know Jeff had done one, I want to say, 2001 in finland Finland, he had gone to but it yeah it wasn't like i didn't know about it before 2008 worlds okay so um i guess like where were the world games that following year and what was your experience like can you tell us a bit about that the 2009 world games were in kaohsiung taiwan uh it was it was totally like any other world championship i had been to at that point and really, like, even in the ones that I've been to since, it it had a whole different atmosphere. Um, a, World Games has a totally different atmosphere because you're around all of these different sports. Mm-hmm. Um, but just the setup and the organization of it seems to have been better than, to me, better than 13 and 17. Um, and a lot of it was, like, the volunteers were amazing. They were the same ones everywhere. They followed us around. And you really got to know them. Um, Mm. Like we went out to the night market with one of, with a couple of the volunteers that year. Um, The other highlight from that, from that event was that we got to walk into the closing ceremonies. So we didn't, again, didn't really know what we were going to. It was like, okay, go to the closing ceremonies. So we got picked up from our hotel um, on a bus. The bus took us to wherever the closing ceremonies was. And we're like, we were late for some reason from our hotel. So we were just, we were supposed to be walking in with countries, but I want to say we were around like you or no, we got there and we were, we were supposed to be walking in with our countries, but C is very far at the front. So we're running, trying to catch up to Canada. And then all of a sudden you're getting closer to the stadium and it's like, what's that noise? And then as like you get closer, you're like, that's the crowd. So we're just walking in. I don't, I think we had, so it was me, Ryan, and Jeff um, that were there. Tom Keen had also been on the team. Yeah, sorry. Um, Tom Keen had also been on the team, but he had gone home earlier. Um, so the three of us, I think, because we had run to try and get there, had got split up. Ryan had maybe got left behind. <laughs> I, um, ran, so as, I, I ran as long as I could. <laughs> <laughs> So I think Jeff and I were together walking in and it was just like, you walk in and you're in this stadium and there's 30,000 people screaming and cheering. And it was unlike anything else I've ever experienced. Um, And then we were just like down on the field floor for it. And there was, it's like the Olympics. Right. Um, And then afterwards going home, like we were giving high fives to this crowd as we're like streaming out. (laughs) Like it was crazy. It's not what you would normally have at a world's right. Right. Um, so yeah, that was definitely a highlight, and is still on a highlight reel of my lifting career. Absolutely, and it's nothing really unreal. to do with the lifting either. 
Right, which is, I mean, is going to take me into my next question, which is how how did you perform that year? How was how was your lift? How did your uh, <laughs> Ryan's laughing already? Is this something we don't talk about or what? No, no. Um, <laughs> um, so for that event, I had a really hard weight cut. This is when the weight classes were 75, 24 hours out the morning before I was, I want to say like 80 kilos. Um, like six weeks out, I was probably around 84 from just memory. Um, so it was a hard weight cut. Looking back on it, there's so many things I could have done better nutritionally, blah, 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 but circumstantial. Um, so I woke up that morning that I was supposed to compete and I want to say I was like 77 or 78. So mm -hmm. I go down to Ryan and Jeff's room and I knock on the door and I'm like, I don't know what to do. I think, I don't think I'm going to make weight. Like, and this was, um, you had to make weight in your weight class at that point in time at worlds, you didn't have to make weight. You could miss weight oh, and okay. lift up. Um, I want to say that changed in like 2011. Ryan, do you remember? Maybe. 2010. 2010. Um, so this was one of those like weird events at that time where you had to absolutely make weight. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I knocked on their door and I'm like, I don't know what to do. So it was Taiwan. It was hot out. So, Brian woke up and he came with me. Jeff, I don't think woke up and just kept sleeping. Um, he slept, Jeff slept basically that entire trip. Um, the jet lag had him down and out. Um, but yeah, we basically went and walked around for a little bit and I'm like, I'm not sweating. Like, I don't know what to do. So then we went to a hotel and a different hotel because our hotel didn't have bathtubs and we got a room with a hot tub or with a bathtub. I sat in the bath for a few hours and I didn't have a scale because I wasn't that organized to actually travel with a scale. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was like, okay, well, we have to go to weigh in now. So I guess we'll see what happens. Um, so I weighed in at 74.5. So obviously that weight cut impacted how I lifted a little bit. Um, I had probably one of the hardest squats in my life that meet. Um, it was very slow, very much a grinder. Um, I set a bench junior world record. I think I benched like 155, somewhere in there. Wow. Okay. Um, deadlift, I don't think I deadlifted super well. I want to say I might have only made one. Maybe. Sounds right. Point? Yeah, that sounds Something right. Like that. So I lifted okay. I think I placed fifth, I want to say. Sixth that year. I think so. Okay. So, yeah, it was like. It was, it's one of those looking back on it. I set a world record in the bench, um, a junior world record. And most of my memories related to it are to do with cutting weight. <laughs> yeah. So let me just skip back to that weight cut a little bit there. So at six in the morning, we're walking around. We decide to get a hotel so she can get a bathtub. So we walk into this hotel, fairly nice hotel. I walk up to the front desk. You know, I don't speak uh, Mandarin. You know, I can say hello and that's about it. So I try to like ask this guy, do your hotel rooms have bathtubs? And he's like, yes. <laughs> I'm like, I don't really trust your answer. Can I go look at a room? <laughs> so I go up to the room like, oh, it has a bathtub. Perfect. So I come down. I'm like, I need a room for like an hour and it has to have a bathtub in it. <laughs> so I use a, we use this room and then she gets like the worst nosebleed after she finishes cutting yeah. weight in the bathtub. So she's stealing towels and we're like <laughs> checking out of this hotel after an hour with her nose just gushing blood. It was like one of, I, I, I have to assume that this front desk clerk has the same story just from the opposite <laughs> perspective, right? right? 
But yeah, so it was that was a terrible weight cut. And I think we started walking around like midnight. So we, oh we, we started cutting around midnight and walked and walked and then ended up at a hotel at six. So there was like no sleep before that. That's a hell of a day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so playing off that a little bit, uh, you've competed internationally like a ton, obviously. Uh, what's some advice you might offer to someone who's nervous about maybe doing their first international competition, maybe either competition related or even like travel related? Like, do you have any tips or anything you kind of keep in mind? Something like maybe travel with a scale if you're cutting weight. Yeah, traveling <laughs> with a scale is a great idea. Um, there's a really little cute one that you can buy on Amazon that travels really well. And the one I have is super accurate. Um, yeah, traveling with a scale is to me a no brainer now. Um, I think right after that meet actually, we bought a little travel scale. Well, not a little one. It's a big calibrated scale, but it was small enough that it could fit in luggage so that that never happened again. Um, but since Amazon has a really good one, if you need the link, let me know, I can send it to you. Um, but yeah. But related to that, I think I'm a big believer at this point in time in just training at your weight and coming in on weight. I'm like super anti-cut right now. Um, That may change in the future, but I like to, even like now I'm 84, so it's a lot easier. But when I was 72, the last couple of years, it's been, okay, my weight is 72. That's where I'm walking around. That's where I'm training. So -hmm. you can do that. um, I think that definitely helps. I always say try and think of it like, it's just another meet, right? It's the same lifts. It's the same commands. Nothing like that changes, um, which I know is easier said than done because there still is that extra pressure of a world championship. Um, but those would be the biggest thing, I think, just trying to take it like any other meet and uh, trying to have your weight on point. Yeah, and I think, like, especially with, with equipped lifting, right? Like, that would probably even ring more true. Did you ever have issues with cuts affecting the way your gear fit or anything like that yeah like even now when I'm not cutting typically my weight drops the last week to two weeks of training um even when even right now so I'll lose like one to two kilos and my gear is always a little bit looser um come meet day I haven't figured out how to combat that quite yet Mm. um but yeah the closer that you can train to your weight with equipped, like the better it's going to be because you got your gear dialed in for whatever body weight. And then all of a sudden, even if you're going to water cut and then rehydrate, you're not rehydrating the same weight that you right. lost or in the exact same way. I don't think. Yeah. You might carry that a little bit differently or make things fit a little differently. Yeah. Um, so I know I got, I got a couple of questions about some, some plateaus and how to break them and stuff like that. Um, but so in, in 2017, uh, your best total was 590 in the 72s and summer of 2017, you totaled 612 and then in the fall 635. So was there anything big that you changed around that time or, uh, no, nothing. It was just magic. <laughs> like, so I guess to follow up, like what would, what would those big things be? Yeah. So, uh, at that point in time. 2009. Okay. So going back to like 2008 worlds, I want to say 2008 worlds, I totaled 582 and a half, um, somewhere in there. And then 2017, my best total was 590. Um, so seven and a half kilos in eight years. Awesome. Um, (laughs) 
So to get the, what was it, like 50-some kilos in the next six months, the biggest mm-hmm. change was I started working with Lane. Okay. Um, that was really the only change. Uh, but obviously, it was a huge change. It was a needed change. Um, before Nationals 2017, I was just feeling really frustrated and um, annoyed at basically putting on seven and a half kilos in 10 years um, and just the lack of progress. And I wouldn't say I like I was always training. I was always trying to improve, but just wasn't seeing any results. So Ryan and I had a lot of conversations um, to try to be like, okay, what's the solution to this? Like, are we done with lifting or are, am I done with lifting? Um, are there changes we can make? So it was like, okay, well, let's hire somebody else. Let's take the training. Ryan had been doing all of my coaching at that point in time. Let's take that out of his hands. Um, some of the issues leading up to that were like, if something was programmed that I didn't really want to do, I would say to Ryan, well, I don't really want to do this. And he would just be like, okay. Um, right, because right. he didn't want to fight at home about it. Which was like so, all, the, all of the equipped work, right? Like for sure. Or, or I don't want to put on my tight shirt or my tight suit. It was, so and I wasn't going to fight about it. Right. It's no, it was a lot of gear related stuff. It was a lot mm-hmm. of, yeah, I didn't want to put on tight gear. I didn't want to put on my gear in general. So sort of going through the motions that way. Um, so just taking it out of my hands and it was like, okay, um, between world, between nationals and world games was, I want to say 21 weeks. So it was one of those, okay, if I start working with Lane and eight weeks in, I'm like, this isn't going to work. Like we still have a lot of time. We had a long enough training cycle to, mm-hmm. um, go back to something that I knew. Cause it was definitely scary. Like ever since I've started training, the person who's done my programming has always done me. I trained with in person. Like when I started, Jeff was doing my programming. Um, and then Ryan took over and it's always been somebody who's been right there with me. Um, and that I've known really well and I didn't know Blaine really at all. So it was sort of like, okay, this is scary. Mm-hmm. Um, I just know what he's sort of posted online and that sort of thing. He's obviously a really good, um, equipped lifter. So when we were trying to decide who would I work with, like there was only a select handful of people that we even considered. And I think it was a good move. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I think that's a, a bit of a tough dynamic. I know I, I coach my wife too, and it's, it's hard to like wear the right hat at the right time, I think sometimes, and to not like treat it differently than you would treat other coaching relationships. Maybe, I don't know. Can, maybe you, you guys can speak to that a, a little bit or, or relate a little bit of that experience and what you learned from that. In terms of maybe your coaching, Ryan, I don't know. Yeah, I think it is tough because, you know, with someone I'm coaching remotely or whatever, or someone I'm coaching at the gym that's not my wife, mm-hmm. you know, it's easier for me to be like, just do what you're supposed to do. Like, yeah, suck your, it up, your, pro- yeah. your program says to put your suit on or your shirt on or whatever. And I know you don't want to do it, but just do it because that's what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And so it, it came down to if she didn't want to do it, and I wasn't going to fight about it. It wasn't worth, you know, getting into a fight at the gym that carries over at home, blah, blah, blah. Right. Right. Um, right. So it, it's a really tough dynamic and I think it can work for some people, but you know, when you're trying to push to certain levels, it's, it's hard. Right. So, yeah, yeah, totally. And you, you worked with Blaine too for a little while. Hey, Ryan. I did. I worked, I, I worked with Blaine for like one training cycle. So I let Ray a test drive Blaine to see, you know, <laughs> 
he was any good. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, and uh, and then in late 2017, working into Nationals 2018, I worked with him for I think a 12 week, 12 or 16 week cycle. Um, yeah. I really I knew to have a really long story short, I had elbow surgery planned for after that Nationals. And I knew that there was a chance that that surgery may not go well and I might not be uh, having a powerlifting career after that. So I figured, hey, like, let's see if Blink kind of pushed my total to a new level so I can do something good before um, I may not lift again, right? So, uh, yeah. Uh, in the end, I bombed, but, you know. <laughs> I, but I then you benched 325. That's yeah. right. We, we drove yeah. down to the slaughterhouse and, and benched 325 with Blaine. So it worked out, sort of. Yeah. Would you, would you say that was probably one of the biggest changes to your programming moving over to working with Blaine was more exposure, more time spent in your equipment and, and him forcing you to do the, all the stuff you didn't want to do? Yeah, definitely. Like, A, I didn't make excuses about, okay, I'm not going to put the gear on today. Um, but definitely in it way more. Like, most, especially then, I think I was for the most part in the shirt twice a week, um, like from 20 weeks out or so I was in my gear every week for deadlifts, every week for squats. So just way more exposure to it and trying to fine tune things that way. Um, more so than just get strong raw and then throw it on for a couple of sessions before a meet, which yeah. is more or less what we had gotten into at that point in time before I started working with Lane. That's what you got into. <laughs> That's right. My programming had me. I was, I was usually in gear three weeks out of four in my programming. Right. So, and she was doing the same programming I was for a comparator. Right. But she um, was probably in gear one week out of four. Ah, uh, okay. I, I did get another question about specifically that bench shirt frequency, Rhea. Um, there was somebody who asked if, if you're in your shirt all year round, like every week or, you know, what, uh, I guess, portion of your year are you spending just doing raw stuff or do you take much of a hiatus from, um, the shirt specifically? Uh, like it all goes back to goals. I think right now, the only goals I have are really equipped. Mm -hmm. uh, in 2018, I did classic worlds. So that training cycle from nationals to classic worlds, I don't think I was in my shirt at all. Um, I think I had knee wraps on a handful of times. Mm -hmm. Ryan, you're looking like I was in the shirt then. I don't think I was. Yeah. I would have to look back the program somewhere back there on that shelf. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's one of those ones, I think. Um, but anyway, like right now, I'm more or less in the shirt year round. Um, okay. Like the last four weeks, since nationals, I haven't been in it. Um, this next cycle, I'm going to start getting back into it once a week and just sort of see how that goes with just Ryan being around. Um, mm. We're totally spoiled equip lifters in that we have an awesome training crew that we train with and 99% of days have more than enough spotters. Yeah. Um, so with what's going on right now, it's a little, it's a little bit scary to have to do it with just Ryan, even though like Ryan's capable of helping me and doing everything he needs. We have all the safeties that we would need, but it's just sort of that mental aspect of getting over, not having people on the sides. Um, should something go awry? Yeah. But totally. um, yeah. So in general, 
if my goals are equipped, I'm in the shirt nearly year round. Okay, cool. I think that she kind of answered. I would. So the question is, um, like, what's one of your favorite memories from all your uh, international events? Yeah, and I kind of, I kind of feel like you kind of cover that with the World Games with that. The kinda... Taiwan, yeah. Taiwan's definitely a highlight, just because we were like celebrities there. And how many T-shirts did you sign? A lot. Yeah, that's what we're signing. We were signing T-shirts. Weird. Um, <laughs> and I have a T-shirt that's signed by Tom Keen. That so they were just like passing these T-shirts around, and then all of a sudden they were done because lifting was back on again. And there was one on the floor, so I'm just like slowly grab it, put it into my bag. And yeah, it only has Tom Keen's signature on it. So every time I wear it, it's just a nice memory of Tom Keen. Nice. Um, but yeah, there's so many different, like, I don't know. It's hard to label one as like the very best. Like definitely that first World Games is up there. Um, competing at Junior Worlds in Moose Jaw and winning right. is another highlight. Yeah, uh, yeah. The biggest thing a, that summer leading up to it was super stressful. Do not try and run a world and lift at it and try and win it with it being your last year as a junior or your last opportunity. Oh, That's a bad okay, idea. Yeah. Um, don't recommend that. <laughs> but the thing I like, my biggest memory about that is coming out for my first squat. And I knew that there was going to be like a crowd there because I'm a moose jaw girl and that's where it was. Um, but coming out for my first squat, like, they had let, announced bars loaded and it was just this huge roar is what I remember. I don't remember actually ever looking out into the audience to see how many people were there. Um, but yeah, just that like energy in that room was pretty crazy that day. Um, it's hard to not put Dubai worlds uh, on the highlight list too. Right. Um, obviously winning there was a lifetime goal yeah. that I finally check off. Um, like we talked about 2008 was sort of second close to podium, close to the top. Um, so it gave me that false sense of hope. I still always wanted to do it, but until the last three years, I don't did never feel like without everybody bombing and things going exactly my way, that it was a realistic possibility um, really again until 2017 work going into 2017 worlds I felt like there was an outside shot if everything went right for me and maybe didn't go right for other people mm -hmm. um 2018 it was like oh, I think it's going to be close and then same thing with this year it was like oh, it could, could go either way um but yeah this year's worlds would definitely be on the highlight reel yeah for sure so basically I mean you know 12 years is a long ass time to to be involved in powerlifting, I think being, you know, lifting for that long, a lot of the time is, is half the challenge of having the kind of success that you've had. Um, if you were to kind of sum it down to a few keys, uh, as the kids say these days, um, what, what do you think would, would be some of the keys to longevity in powerlifting and some of the reasons that you've been able to do it for as long as you have? I think staying injury-free is a big part of it, or maybe not injury-free, but as low injury as possible, and then rehabbing right. things adequately, um, not letting little tweaks add up. Um, mm -hmm. I've been fortunate enough not to have anything major, knock on wood, um, related to the sport, things that I've always been able to recover from um, and haven't become chronic issues. Right. 
Um, so I think that's a huge part of it. And then when those issues do come up, like dedicating yourself to taking the time to get better from them, um, which may mean a little bit of regression with your lifts, with the numbers that um, you're hitting in training, but knowing that in the long term it'll come back. Um, for me, so much of it's just, it's what I do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the habit of going to the gym and training and some days you're going through the motions and you don't really want to be there and you're not mentally com- completely in it, but you go, you get the work done and you go home. Um, so I think like, there's always, I always say that there's always more weight to put on the bar. So there's always higher goals to set. Right. Mm-hmm. Even like for me at this point, it's like, I'm setting some world records, but it's like, well, there's still more. I know that that's not my absolute limit. So there's always sort of new goals or new things that you can push your body through. Right. So would you say that 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 goal setting and that thinking of like, okay, what's the next bar I'm setting? Is that, is that a pretty motivating thing for you to see like what that next rung you can grab is? Yeah. And I don't know if for like, there's, like you said, there's so many people who have come in and like blowing up and then a year later they're done. Mm -hmm. Um, for me, part of it probably is that we've basically structured our life around lifting and training, right? Like my husband competes. Um, we run businesses related to the sport. I'm a massage therapist, which is related to the human body. Um, so everything that we do sort of dabbles in. So it's pretty interwoven into our lives. So mm-hmm. I don't know what our lives without powerlifting would look like uh, yeah. because that would take apart nearly everything, um, of our lives. And like, even our families, right. Mm -hmm. Ryan's sister competes, my brother and sister compete. Um, so I think it's just for us, it's like, it's hard for me to ever envision our, our lives where powerlifting's not a huge component of it. Right. No, that's, that's, that's awesome. I think, um, and I think from that, I like, you know, as, as somebody who's maybe coming into the sport, one of the things would be like, if you, I think if you want to be successful, you just have to do it for a long time and, and whatever that might mean, like, you know, for you guys, it's, it's been essentially structuring your lives around it. Um, and I think in some way, a lot of, or, or most even successful lifters do that to an extent, right. And, and end up getting a job that will allow them to travel, to compete and allow them to, eat when they need to and, and to do things like that. Right. So that's, it's interesting. Um, we talked a little bit about plateaus and stuff and, and I think that we kind of wrapped up on that. So maybe I'll toss it over to Ryan here for the, the next one. So after winning open worlds last year, uh, you were named world games athlete of the month, uh, and then were uh, involved into the athlete of the year competition right away after that. Uh, how did it feel to be nominated for the athlete of the month? And then were you impressed or disappointed in how you did with the athlete of the year competition? Uh, being nominated for athlete of the month was something that I never thought would happen. Um, it was funny that at iron sisters last summer, Jen and I, Jen Thompson and I had been talking about it and she was nominated last year and was telling me about like all of the work that she had to put into the athlete of the year nomination. Um, and she's like, oh, like, if you ever get nominated, just know how much work it is. Um, 
but she's like, it's a huge honor to be recognized at that level. Like the world games is the top of the top level for us right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a huge honor, um, which is how I felt when I got nominated. But then in the back of my mind, it was like, oh man, if I got a conversation with Jen had made me be like, I don't really want to get nominated for this because it is a lot of work. And, um, it's a lot of work for the athlete of the year part because the IPF wants you to be promoting it and wants you to be getting a lot of people voting. And it was one of those, like I was posting as much as I could and messaging people, asking them to post, but I'm like, it felt like it was a big popularity contest Mm -hmm. that I had no control over. Right. Whereas when you go, which is so different from what we do in the sport where it's like, yeah, I train, I have complete control over my training, my nutrition, what I'm doing recovery wise, I can control that. But this competition, I have absolutely no control over. Um, It was fun. It was great to get the recognition. Um, I was happy with getting third. Do I want more? I always want more, right? Jen had finished second the year prior. So it was like, okay, can we do that? Or can we do better? Mm -hmm. Um, Still placing top three is pretty cool um, and pretty huge for our sport. I think it shows sort of where we're at on the international level. Um, But that whole voting process, it was when January was over and the athlete of the month or athlete of the year competition was over. I had a bit of a sigh of relief. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Um, There was one other question here and I don't know if this is some kind of inside joke between he and you or you guys. Uh, but I don't know anything about Stan Walgermo just wanted to know if you like turtles. <laughs> you sound you look just as perplexed as I was by that. I thought maybe there was more something behind that, but I don't think there's more behind that as far as I know. Do I like turtles? I don't have anything against turtles. All right, little salmonella machines. <laughs> Wash right. your hands. Yeah, all right. Well, uh, we'll move on from that. Um, so uh, you too, you, Ryan and, and yourself run a, a very successful company that, that deals in powerlifting equipment, um, promotes and, and puts together meets and, and all kinds of stuff like that. So what's the, what's the kind of story behind how inner strength came to be? Um, maybe where did you get the name? If it's not maybe apparent, um, yeah, just, just maybe tell us a little bit about that. So Inner Strength originally started in 2010, um, and it basically came about because I was sick of going to Worlds and not having CPU clothing, um, only having our tracksuits. Before that, the odd person had sort of just printed up some Canada powerlifting t-shirts and would have them at nationals that you could buy, but nothing was really official. Um, So it all started out with me approaching the CPU being like, hey, can I make clothing with a CPU logo on it and sell it? Um, and they're like, okay, sure. Um, so at that point in time, my dad ran businesses when I was growing up. So that was just a part of it. And dad was like, you should make a business because maybe this could become something someday. Maybe you could sell more. Who knows, right? So let's do this properly. You make a business, um, go through that those paths. So initially, all we were selling was CPU clothing. Um, The name itself came up. I want to say my mom came up with it. We had a little round table. I remember being at a kitchen table at my parents' house with my mom and dad and my husband, Ryan. Um, 
and I guess just boyfriend at the time. And yeah, I want to say my mom, we were like playing around with different word combinations, right? Like, and we wanted to leave it at, I think I froze again. Did I freeze? No, you're no, no, okay. totally. A little choppy, but you're good. little choppy? Okay. We wanted to leave it open-ended enough that it wasn't like we're selling apparel. So that was where the products came from and that we're like, oh, products is a word that we can sell anything. Or maybe I could do some personal training under it or just sort of leaving the doors open that way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I think the name itself, I want to say it was my mom who came up with it. And Ryan, you're, you nodded your head at that. So yeah. that memory must be correct. That's, I, I remember doing, I remember driving, I think we were driving to Regina maybe. Yeah, and I remember, and I mean, maybe that wasn't where the name came from, but I remember someone saying like, your dad maybe saying like, well, maybe, you know, you put your logo on clothing and people buy that and being like, no one's going to buy clothing with our logo on it. Like they just want to buy CPU clothing. Like I, I, I distinctly remember that conversation happening and being like, that's not going to be a thing. Like we're not Lululemon. But now look at Ryan's hat. Now my hat. And yeah. Ray's shirt. Yeah. It's almost like this is planned. Um, That's, that's cool. I think it like most business ideas that, uh, you know, end up kind of taking off. It sounds like it was born out of like a necessity. Like I can't get this. So I want to create a place where other people can get this because that's annoying. Um, Yeah. And I just totally what it was, right? Like you go to a world and you're sitting in the audience and you see these people with like, I specifically remember Sweden. Sweden always had like Mm t-shirts with Swedish or Sweden powerlifting on the back. It was always like, why don't we have ones that say Canada powerlifting on the back? Um, so that was one of the first designs that we did was like just the old CPU logo on the front and then Canada powerlifting across the back. I remember going to um, Sales Nate Worlds and making like going to a local screen printing place and having them just put a maple leaf on the chest of a T-shirt. And I had like two different colors made, one for squat and one for deadlift. I think you had, I made one for you that was black and white, I think. Mm-hmm. Um because that's what you could do, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I just got a local screen printer to print a maple leaf on a T-shirt for me. Yeah, it was either that or you were wearing an Inzer T-shirt. Like, right. there wasn't all these brands related to the sport. Right. There was Titan, Inzer, and Metal. Like, yeah, that was more or less it. Yeah, and it, so Inner Strength, like, quickly became, or I don't know how quickly, but it eventually at least became a lot more than just CPU T-shirts and your logos on stuff. I don't know if you remember this Ray, or not, uh, but very specifically, I bought my very first belt from Inner Strength. I bought an Inzer lever belt, and this was when lever belts were relatively new. And I came over to your guys' house, and I tried on my belt, or a belt, and I got stuck in it. And Rhea and I were standing in the living room trying to pry the prongs of this belt out for probably like an awkward amount of time like nine to 12 (laughs) minutes do you remember that at all Rhea? no not at all because i think i was about to do my first meet and i bought a singlet and some like gripper wraps and a belt from you guys and maybe a pair of like ray-ban sleeves or maybe i got those somewhere else but i remember getting just completely stuck in this belt that was like a half size too small and undid the lever and the prongs were still just too tight that yeah, they I get stuck in there. Dumb. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that just kind of, uh, dawned on me. I, I'd forgotten that almost till now, but oh, yeah. I don't remember that at all. 
I remember your first meet and I think I was in the head chair and I remember your Chihuahua tattoo, (laughs) which you told me at nationals this year that you're getting it covered up. And I'm really sad about that because that's like my first memory of you. I'm like, who is this guy with this Chihuahua on his quad? Uh, That might be a while away still. Yeah, I remember that's Ryan saying the same thing too. Because we had some footage we were trying to use for the documentary and I asked Ryan because uh, I think he's back spotting me or in one in the frame. So I was like, hey man, like is that cool? And I don't know, it somehow came up. He's like, Oh, I didn't I don't know if I was there or if I just I kinda remember some guy with a chihuahua tattoo on his leg, but I think you have a video of me like laughing at you on your third deadlift or something. Oh yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. But I think it was cause <laughs> So like everybody in the back room laughed at me and then somebody told me to put more weight on the bar or something like that. I think that was probably me because why don't you put some weight on the bar? Like, like a little Tasmanian devil for your third deadlift and then pull like an opener. I'm sure that's why I laughed at you. And I didn't understand at the time whether that was like a compliment or whether you guys were telling me that I sucked, (laughs) but you were like, why don't you put some weight on the bar next time? And I was like, Oh, sorry. Like, did I do something wrong? Like, I don't know. No, that's definitely a compliment. Yeah, that's funny uh, though. That's one of those things that you don't think about until you step back. Like, is it a compliment or is it a negative comment? Right? Like, put some weight yeah. on the bar. Like, yeah, interesting, interesting like, perspective. Am I a bad right? deadlift for Ryan? I don't know. <laughs> no, apparently not. <laughs> um, so flipping that completely from all the positive experiences. Um, what does it take for you to have a bad session, Rhea? And has that changed over time? Like, have you changed how you view or deal with those bad sessions or have your like triggers changed? Um, what is like, what does that look like for you or what did it look like? And what does it look like now? Maybe I was going to say, I think Ryan and I might have differing opinions on this one. Um, I feel like I've gotten better with what makes a bad session and what makes a good session. Um, It used to be, I would say like weights not moving like they should be or missing an an attempt in training um, would just set me off and then it would linger the rest of that workout and go into our evening at home. Um, I like to think that I've gotten better when that happens, that I'm better at uh, just being like, okay, that happened. Now I'm moving on and focusing on the rest of my workout. Um, There's still days that it's tough though, right? If things aren't going like they're supposed to, or um, something doesn't feel right, things feel off and you can't push training like you want to, um, but it can definitely get frustrating. Yeah. Um, And then, I'd probably get a little bit more angry at Ryan than I should. Um, but I think I'm getting better. I mean, <laughs> I don't think you've thrown your mouth guard at me or anything. So That's a common thing over there, hey? No, I don't, I don't think you've mouth guard throwing. No, throwing punch, mouth guards? She punches just in. Yeah, it's just me. Yeah, I, I punched the bar a few times. <laughs> oh, really? Um, I while remember benching. while benching, like, I've had some... So yes, my bench is blown up in the past three years, two years, whatever time frame you want to look at. Um, but it's not been like perfect execution the whole time. Um, there was a good stretch of time where like probably one in six, one in eight benches were good. Um, so 
I had gotten into the habit a few times of like, I'd miss a bench attempt and then like sm- smashing the bar with my hand um, uh, or wrist. And yeah, I got close to like, I might've broken my finger feeling. And so then I've stopped or tried to stop doing feel like that. That's not going to help the rest of your session. Uh, no, at not at all. Right. <clears throat> or kicking the bar. Deadlifting, I've like threatened the bar to kick it. And as I'm doing it, I'm like, this is not Just a good up. idea. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'll start to kick it and then I'm like, I should not kick a stationary bar. It's you gonna hurt me more one. than it's gonna hurt it. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard though, you know, you really want to. It was yeah. like when you like put my strap up on deadlifts that day and your hand slipped and you punched me in the jaw and I turned <laughs> and punched the bar because I had to punch something. <laughs> so I punched the bar. And in that, that knuckle, case, that's that is the winning choice. The knuckle hurt a long time. Like I, yeah. I did something wrong. I did something bad to that. Ray, you kind of touched on something interesting there that the the consistency with your your bench wasn't maybe always what it is now. Um, was there anything like aside from you know getting a coach a little bit more time in the shirt uh, or more frequently? Was there anything else that changed or that you started to do? Like, did you approach the lift differently or, or things like that, or did you just kind of adjust your training? Um, but I'd be interested to hear anything about how you kind of made that more consistent over time or was it just a practice thing? I think a lot of it has been a practice thing and just a <clears throat> sheer number of reps and figuring, figuring out the shirt really. Mm-hmm. Um, most like the, when I'm thinking back to the training being inconsistent was when I had first started with Blaine um, probably in that first year where he was trying to get me to change a lot about how I was benching. Okay. Uh, so when I, First started working with Lane, I moved back into a Super Katana. I had been in a Rajex um, for the while leading up to that. Um, and just the changes that he was trying to get me to make um, weren't coming naturally. And probably like one in six benches was good. Uh, the world record at the time was like 178, I believe. And I remember there was a day in training where I couldn't touch anything, but I got like 178 and a half. I loaded it up to a one board ish, right? Like brought it down to about a one board and pressed it up pretty smooth. So it was like, Oh, maybe I have a shot at the world record. And then like would miss attempts, miss reps, miss reps. Um, a couple of months ago, just going back and watching some old training, it was like, man, how did I ever have any confidence going into world games that I wasn't going to bomb and bench? And like, I don't remember that thought ever really crossing my mind, um, leading into it. It was just like, Oh, I'll go out there and make it. Like I can make, probably every third attempt. So it'll work out. Um, definitely over the last year, year and a half, like my bench has gotten much more consistent in training. Um, it's definitely had cycles where it's like, all of a sudden it's like, okay, I feel like I've forgotten how to bench in the shirt. Um, but overall it's gotten a lot more consistent. And I think a lot of that is I'm trying to change less and less now. Um, Um, so we're tweaking less. So then my body just sort of knows what to do. Um, whereas when I initially started working with Blaine, it was like, you're changing 17 things. And my body's like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing. So where is this control supposed to be coming from? Right. And you didn't open raw at the world games. <laughs> no. And I'm going to quit meat. I have never opened raw <laughs> again. I'll knock on wood. Cause you never know what can happen. Yeah. But that's interesting. That's ballsy. I think that <clears throat> I think you also like you kind of have to have that attitude going into a meet, right? 
you have to you have to have this sort of like unflinching, unwavering confidence. Like, yes, I'm absolutely going to do this because it's what I do, and that's the only option. And like, it's it's just cool to hear that uh, that sentiment. Is that kind of how you approach? Uh, every meet, are you able to kind of get into that headspace every time or, or do you struggle with that or do you have techniques that you use um, to try to get yourself thinking that or does that feel maybe a little bit more innate? Like most of the time, if things are going well, confidence will be high, but training will reflect that um, as well. Going back to before World Games in 17, that training cycle was not good um, as far as bench consistency. But I think it was just like, well, I know I can handle this. I know I can do the weight. I think I opened relatively conservatively um, on my bench based on how training had been going. I want to say I opened around like 165, which I think was maybe a personal best at the time for me. But um, I'd been handling a lot heavier weights in training. So it was like, okay, it's light enough that I know I can press it um or i should be able to press it if i can groove it right which is a lot of equipped lifting right like Mm -hmm. this shirt the gear is it's got to be dialed in right and if it's not well things might not go exactly as they were supposed to right so i guess to distill that question how how would you approach a meet to be able to get into that headspace if training didn't go well I think it just, you still have to be confident, right? Like as long as you're opening with numbers that should be there 99% of days or a hundred percent of days, right? Um, just being confident in what you're doing. Like my opening attempts, more or less, typically it's weights that I've hit in the train in training numerous times. So like at nationals, I opened with 215 on the bench, which just thinking about it numbers wise was like, holy crap. Like this is kind of scary, but then it's like when I go back and reflect on what I've actually done in training, it was a good training cycle leading into nationals for bench. And I knew I had done like over 215 dozens of times mm-hmm. um, cleanly. So it was there. Um, and, but I think, sorry, to your question about what do you do when it's not gone well? Well, I think just openers get adjusted, right? right. Um, so that you can, so that there are numbers that, you're super confident in, or you can be super confident in. Right. So just making sure that your game plan reflects that training that maybe didn't go so well. Yeah. And I think like a lot of it too, is the mental side of it, right? The mental training of you're going through the lift and what you're doing in your head, um, practicing it when you're not in the gym so that when it comes time to execute, like it just, you let things take over Mm -hmm. the body take over. So we normally wrap up with some, some like common questions that we're going to ask all of our guests. I feel like we've already touched on a few of them. Um, so we have a couple left here and maybe Ryan, you want to get us started on the common questions? Sure. This is actually a question that you suggested to ask Blaine. So, um, throwing it back at you, what would you say is the lowest point in your lifting career so far and what did you learn from it? Hmm. I would say the lowest point of my career was probably 2007 Worlds. Um, 
I, for context, I won sub junior worlds in 2006. Uh, two months after that, I was in a car accident, broke my legs, broke some ribs. Uh, did I say legs? Yeah. 2000, <laughs> I just, didn't break just both one. legs. Just, just broke one. a lot of stuff. <laughs> um, so two months after junior worlds, or sorry, two months after winning sub junior worlds, I was in a car accident, uh, broke my leg, broke some ribs. Um, so recovered from that 2007 world. So it was sort of like, okay, I'm going to go. I know that my performance isn't going to be my best performance because I'm still recovering, but just sort of go to do it because you can. Um, but I don't think I was physically, I was close to ready mentally. I wasn't there. Um, so it was a hard competition for me to deal with from the mental side. Um, just coming from winning sub juniors to I finished fourth there, I believe. Um, and it wasn't the result that I wanted. It didn't have anything to do with the placing. It was, I didn't perform how I wanted to that day. Um, but I think all of that came back to, I wasn't mentally ready to be competing on that stage again. Um, I hadn't done the mental prep for it. Um, so that would probably be the lowest time in my career. And like, I think you might be downplaying the accident a little bit like you you broke your femur uh you had a family friend who was one of the first responders who basically oh no it was your pastor that drove by that was like oh i think i don't think anyone survived that or something like that right like it wasn't a a minor accident like you you slid up a highway and hit a tree right yeah yeah so it wasn't an easy like i I, a couple weeks later i was back and lifting right no it was a yeah, it was a broken femur, three broken ribs, um, severe concussion. So yeah, it was a lot to come back from. Uh, looking back on it, I probably didn't start the physio aspect of it soon enough either. Um, yeah. We made some errors there, but we we're just doing what we thought was correct at the time. Um, so I think I competed at nationals that March. The accident was the end of November, and I think nationals were March-ish. More or less squatting on one leg. Um, And then after that, I started working with physio a little bit more. Um, So, yeah. It was a major accident, but I think still the mental component of it was what I was struggling with most at that time. And just, I think, some of it was, like, struggling with the accident itself. And yeah. Having survived it, right? Yeah. Um, so, what what did you end up like? What are your biggest takeaways from that, or what did you learn that you were able to sort of apply to? Um, I guess your training, your lifting, your competing, your life uh, after that. What were what were the things that you learned from that? You know, going through the the whole of the recovery and the competition and feeling crappy about it. You know, how did that how did that end up? helping you maybe in the long run were there things that helped you from that experience um I think in the long run like my mental game got better because of it um that was definitely a low but um I think I was able to take that and learn from it and try and improve that way and deal with um that side of it more than just trying to focus on the physical and only worry about that aspect um take sort of a more holistic approach to it take a more what sir 
a more like holistic approach to it okay. rather than just you and the bar, you and the weights trying right. to deal with a little bit more of the mental side of it. Okay, cool. And uh, to wrap up, uh, what do you, what's one piece of advice if you had to distill it down to one piece of advice, uh, what would you, what would you give to somebody who's looking to get into equipment for the first time? Mm. The easiest piece of advice to give is to tell them to find some people who know what they're doing and go and train with them. Um, but I know that's not always the most realistic thing for people. Um, but I think just get started with it. It doesn't have to be the tightest, the best gear to start. Um, start with what you have access to or what you can get cheaply. Um, alter it as much as you can before you make the big investment of gear because it's not cheap. So you don't want to just be throwing your money out there. Um, yeah, just get started with it. Start tinkering with um, how you're altering the gear, how you're wearing the gear. Play around with it and talk to people who know the sport and see what they suggest. Most people are pretty open to discussing things. So have fun. Cool. All right. Well, uh, that pretty much wraps it up unless you've got anything else, Ryan. No, I think that's pretty good. Cool. Well, uh, thanks for coming on the Equipped Brews and Tired podcast, Rhea, and being potentially our first guest. We'll have to see how this comes, <laughs> this comes together in post. But uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. Your first female guest, at least. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I guess a quick sec to give any plugs that you want. Uh, where can people find you? Um, and what are you what are you working on right now? Um, on Instagram, I'm Rhea Stin. Um, our business, innerstrengthproducts.ca. We sell all your SBD gear, basically anything you need for your first meet. Um, and what am I working on right now? Basically just trying to stay really strong through this weird time we're in. Right. I think, I think we're all kind of in that same boat. So, yeah. All right. Uh, that'll wrap it up for today. So thanks for tuning in. All right. We want to thank you for listening to the Equipped, Bruised, and Tired podcast. We're going to be available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever fine podcasts are found. So make sure to leave your five-star rating if you enjoyed the show and a review as well and or check out our video version of the show on our YouTube channel. If you have any questions for ourselves, guest suggestions, or questions for our guests, you can go ahead and contact us at equippedbruisedtired at gmail.com and make sure to do your part to spread the word of the equipped renaissance. We'll see you next time.